0: Our schools obviously exist in the midst of the surrounding culture. The daily bombardment of media techno-intrusion can ravage the effects and loves of our students. So it's imperative as parents and as educators that we wisely understand the context in which we run our schools and families. The good news is that at the same time and in the same moment, we have at our disposal one of the most significant antidotes to the lure of the culture a way to form our students through classical Christian education, of course, all of this under God's sustaining presence. My good friend Gordon Pennington joins us again. He is one of the best cultural translators out there. He has a fascinating background as head of marketing for Tommy Hilfiger and other major brands as well. He knows the power of media to shape and to persuade. He gets the fragmented world that we're living in. He sees the significant opportunity before us as parents and educators to raise up the next generation through classical Christian education. Join me for this fascinating conversation on this episode of Base Camp
1: Live. Mountains, we all face them as we seek to influence the next generation. Get equipped to conquer the challenges, summit the peak, and shape exceptionally thoughtful, compassionate, and flourishing human beings. We call it ancient future education for raising the next generation. Welcome to Basecamp Live. Now your host, Davies Owens.
0: Welcome to Basecamp Live. Davies Owens here, as always, beginning each episode with a word of gratitude to you, especially in these busy seasons of school starting up, to take time to listen to this Podcast. Hopefully, it's helpful. It's encouraging to you. Love to hear from you. Info at basecamplive.com. On this episode, I sit down with my good friend Gordon Pennington. You know, few people I know are as well spoken, so actively engaged with thought leaders, media influencers, educators, and government officials all, all over the world. I often joke with Gordon, Are you kidding me? You were where last week, and now you're here this week. And Gordon is basically lives on a plane. He speaks, he consults, and all of that gives him a vantage point, a perspective that few of us have, kind of living in the day-to-day lives that we live, fairly localized. He is a individual whose life reads like an adventure novel. Back in his early marketing days in New York, he was head of marketing for Tommy Hilfiger, courted by MTV. He was hanging out with celebrities and stars like David Lee Roth and Prince Albert and Johnny Depp. Gordon has, throughout his life, though, understood culture shifts. He's understood as a believer in the impact that... Christ has in redeeming the culture. And he now works tirelessly as a visionary, as a cultural liaison to governments and corporations and nonprofits and ministries all over the globe. And he does so ultimately because he believes there is hope and there is redemption. About 15 years ago, a really defining moment happened. Gordon was visiting the school in Atlanta where I was head of school, Heritage Prep, and he was sitting in a classroom with middle school students and this was really his first foray into classical Christian education and I'll let him explain on that episode but it was it was a defining moment. It really awakened him to the impact that classical Christian education can have in the midst of this crazy cultural environment. Gordon's been on base camp before but it's always good to check back in with him and get a sense of really fresh perspective as the world is constantly changing under our feet. He is one of the biggest advocates and evangelists that I know for classical Christian education. So join me for this interview and conversation with Gordon Pennington.
2: Well, Gordon Pennington, welcome back to Base Camp Live. Great to be here, and great to be here in uh... Dallas, Texas. It's good to be yeah, right here looking at you live. Although Gordon, it's 101 degrees outside. That's your, why we, your listeners should be reminded that we are inside the air conditioned comfort of a hotel convention
0: center. It is a blessing. That's why we that's why podcasting is uh is is great. You can be anywhere in the world and, and not have to worry about temperature control. So, <laughs> Gordon, you are a fantastic one of my closest friends. We go back, I don't know how many, almost a couple decades at this point. Um, and it's been a, a fun journey. You were on, for folks who, some of our podcast folks are, are, are pretty loyal listeners and they've been back through all the episodes, maybe they're paying attention. Two thousand November of 2018, we sat down together here on Basecamp.
2: It's been, it's just the gone world, by so quickly. It's
0: gone by so quickly. For folks that don't know you, Gordon, you have a fascinating life story, and we could just tell the Gordon Pennington story as the whole podcast, but uh, we'll probably limit it because
2: there are other things to talk about. And part of that life story includes you and some of the extraordinary adventures we've had. I think particularly about the night we went out uh, scuba diving in the Gulf of Thailand, and we encountered a thunderstorm, and the boat drifted off anchor, and we were very nearly lost at sea with a Siberian fighter jet pilot who had uh, flown for the Soviet... uh, defected uh, from Russia I believe. At, yeah. And, and at, well, he didn't yeah. defect when the wall came Berlin wall came down he got out of Siberia took his family to Thailand and became a dive instructor as well as a Zen Buddhist monk. And if you <laughs> remember we wandered <laughs> oh, in there. I remember and, quite well yes. What, what was the most interesting diving experience and he said to go to the bottom of the seafloor at night and reduce your your oxygen intake to the bare minimum to see who can meditate. Yeah. And with the greatest efficiency, and prolong your your oxygen yep. tank reserves, and so we did that, and it was quite interesting.
0: Well, well actually, I I didn't have my my uh, diving license, and you did, so I was uh, above on the boat. Why did we
2: throw you overboard then?
0: Well, I. But here's the fascinating part of the story on this. People are, like, where is this going? But it's it's interesting God's provision So we were to back up. We were 2004. We were at the Lausanne formal world evangelism. We're both talking about media and technology. I'm I'm working with Blue Sky Ministries. We've been taking we've taken photographs of over a million people across the earth uh, as an outreach. Amazing. You're doing your work, former. You were of one mar- of the
2: pioneers. You were one of the guys who worked with Christianity.com and launched so much that of was what my, was happening it, in the it, internet space it, at that time. It,
0: that's and yeah, and that's a you know my doctoral research was on using internet-based technology to build quite a biblical community, and so it was a you know it was early on. I mean, I developed one of the earlier Facebook-type pages before you know. I always think if I was like one conversation over when I was in Silicon Valley, I might be in a different place right
2: now. Well, and but you're then, still doing it. I think you're doing something much doing, more important.
0: Absolutely. I agree. And, and so there we were in Thailand at this, at the Lausanne Formal World Evangelism and you know, your background, fascinating, you know, uh, former head of marketing for Tommy Hilfiger, you know, MTV had courted you to come and do marketing. I mean, you were really at the epicenter of marketing and influence in New York city and, and obviously with worldwide connections and influence. And, uh, but you know, I'll come back to your story in a second, but there we were in Thailand. It was a really amazing moment because we showed up at this boat for this kind of mysterious. Diving and it turns out remember these two guys showed up and they said we had a dream that we were supposed three to, Yeah, three guys to come down to the
2: boat and what them was the world windsurfing champion from Norway. Yes Fascinating
0: fascinating story But I think this was right out of like, a biblical moment where it's like and I was told in a dream That to come down to this boat to find the meaning of life So while you're down there floating with a plankton I'm on deck trying to share the gospel with these guys that have come and then we were, you know, it, it was an amazing moment. Of course, I was on the boat, and it kept drifting, and then you popped up, and I thought, we're never going to find Gordon out here in the sea. Um, but remember, there was this, what were the photons, not photons, what was in the... the um, yeah, phytoplankton. Phytoplankton, which were bioluminescent.
2: Which was So it was like
0: this, out of a complete movie moment, and then we ended up sharing the gospel. And then, of course, the tragedy was the uh, tsunami. Just weeks later. Weeks later, tsunami hits, and these to our knowledge i don't, we never heard never from anybody again. again so you know we we hope that um <laughs> there were the lord at this point but it was a at any rate, that alone it extraordinary. May, there's the podcast gordon that was a fascinating people it are really like, what was. in the I've world are these guys about talking that about that many
2: times so many remarkable things happened in of oh, oh gods at that time yeah, yeah. Was.
0: you know I you know I've, you know chased thieves in Manhattan and jumped in limos and driven backwards down streets to, we've had these crazy adventures together that I can't even
2: tell these stories. But well, it's, it has been an adventure, but there's no adventure that's greater than the exploration of uh, discovery and how we learn yeah. and how we convey what we've learned yeah. in a meaningful way to the next generation. I think that's that's the great task, burden of stewardship that falls upon our shoulders now. Okay. And, that's, and
0: that's, you know, we're going to get to kind of the, you know, give away the, the punchline. I mean, it is education. It's been transformative in your life, in mine. It's the best bet in terms of influence and i think this is an interesting coming from you for those who don't know your story if we could just take a moment and unpack a little bit i mean you have a vantage point that few have on many levels in particular just your you spent much of your early life trying to figure out basically how to persuade and influence people to make buying decisions and uh and and just leveraging media and in all of its forms so i mean talk a little bit about those early days for you because you had a um, a moment of, of, of spiritual awakening um, in the midst of all of that, but early on you were you were kind of right there at the throes of influence.
2: Yeah, well, it's certainly been a circuitous career path for me because I originally thought I wanted to be an architect, so naturally I went off to uh, study uh, media, and I ended up um, getting a degree in theology, and then studying law, and coming back into marketing and branding. So, what a journey it's been. But it's always been about the one theme that connects it all I think is uh, community and communication and connecting people Yeah, because I was that only child of an only child and I have an only child who has an only child now so think about that and it's uh and still living in the same house which is amazing they're you know inherited my great-grandparents house as you know my great-grandmother on my mother's side was the world's first recording artist was selected by thomas alva edison to play her silver trumpet around the world so he would record her on his invention invention the phonograph and she played for queen victoria and played for presidents played from very interesting places and circumstances and then brought a lot of those uh uh, collectibles and curios and things that she had found along the way back yeah. to uh, our home in Michigan. So that's uh, it, it's it's quite a repository of history. It is. History. It's like walking through the Smithsonian. It's another amazing. <laughs> so
0: you, so you you weren't classically educated directly, but indirectly because your mom is an educator. I mean, you are a prolific reader, and you have an amazing. Uh, just a uh, repository of knowledge of, of great books and great thinkers. Well, I yep. had the
2: good fortune uh, the bad fortune I suppose of a of sort of a, you know my failure in public education to experience fully what it might have offered it didn't really offer as much as I would have yeah. hoped and so I was fortunate to have a mother and grandmother who offered me a world of ideas through their reading and knowledge and love of books and literature and yeah. ideas so that's that's a that's a great blessing for anybody who yes. is uh, stimulated by those kind of circumstances yeah. so you were again i want to
0: get to some of the joint work we did looking at media but when you were there in new york in the days of mtv courting you i mean what was i mean just the the power of influence i mean obviously that is that was the business you were trading in was how do we how do we change people's mindsets um, talk a little bit about those days. Seeing how yeah.
2: ambitious corporate America was to influence young people, for mm-hmm. commercial reasons, of course. But they had the capacity to commit billions of dollars to their aims and objectives and to go around the world with what mm-hmm. I think was a really uh, abysmal agenda in terms of not inspiring young people, but really catering to their, their base mm-hmm. instincts and creating things like the real world in the beginning of, uh, of uh, re- so-called reality TV, which is highly manipulative, highly... Mm-hmm. Highly constructed for yeah. to create conflicts and create a certain kind of misery that is a that is that is a sorrow or a laughter, but not something that I think that is really deeply instructional. So the idea that we've absorbed so much of this kind of media content, entertainment right. as entertainment, as opposed to feeling sorry for the people we witness in so many of these programs, yeah, and to see what MTV was doing was enough to persuade me that wasn't the job. I mean, they made it you know sound very interesting, but. The result was something that is very, very destructive. And they were effective at that. Yeah. I mean, you went before when you were working with Tommy Hilfiger, I mean, you were, you know, basically
0: schlocking clothes. I mean, there's that's not quite as uh, destructive to the soul, perhaps,
2: as MTV. We used but, yeah. to call it the rag trade on 7th <laughs> Avenue. It really is. Well, you know, the yeah. emperor has no clothes. You have to come up with these really unique sort of uh, stylistic uh, suggestions yeah. and, 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 and inventions of... Uh, right fashion that, that caused people to want to be reattired and reattired and reattired and have it, you know, constantly have new clothes. And look, there's something about expressing yourself and sure. your personality that way. But at the end of the day, education is far more important. Yeah. And you've seen that. So you, again,
0: just kind of in the, the process of your own life and then, uh, had a really a a second conversion experience uh, yourself along the way that kind of you went wait a minute there's more important uses in my life right now. Big wake-up call
2: over 20 years ago I'd gotten to the point where my life was very dysfunctional and self-destructive and uh, there's a lot of Sorrow and, uh, and failure and conflict appended to that. And so it just feels great to be uh, free and awake and sober yeah. and growing spiritually into things that are, you know, far more rewarding and fulfilling and yeah. nourishing and refreshing and joyous. <laughs> <laughs> so when you look at the landscape
0: today of our culture, Gordon, um, there's a lot of, I mean, it used to be just marketers, if you will. And, um, let me back up and say, you know, this project, so you and I came together, it was, I can't believe it's in 2004, it was called Media Meltdown. I was working for an organization that was le- re- reaching out to a lot of college students. And so um, the, the essence of it, and I still have the video, it's funny looking back at it. So uh, we, uh, for a 24-hour period, we basically, or you, you contracted to get uh, folks to just
2: sit in front of cable television, I guess, for 24 hours. 24 hours, just watch as much as you could absorb and look at the reactions. And what, uh, very destructive, Yeah. soul-deadening. But this is the, that was the beginning. That was cable. Now you've got myriad uh, selections and distractions. I think, I think your exact line was "myriad techno
0: intrusion" was actually yeah, a, a line. And, and, with it. Yeah. and the
2: result is we're deeply fragmented souls. When really part of the need, our deepest need, is to find integration, find our our real center, yeah. and not to be pulled in so many directions that we just end up being uh, impulsive and reactive. As opposed to really pulling together something that reflects our core, our center, our values, our humanness, our incarnational presence in a way that this, you know, so much of this media distraction. Now the metaverse coming is disincarnational. It's to take you out of the pres- your, your real personhood, your real presence in Earth. And
0: That's a, yeah, describe that for people. Because, I mean, we went from just distraction of cable TV in 2004, smartphone comes in 2007, now we've got the devices. But now this is a whole new... Threat, if you will, is coming in terms of persuasion and influence. What it, are you seeing? There? I think
2: it's a dark intersect. Look, it, it, people are going to experiment with whatever they can get away with. So the idea that there's a the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, mm. that fruit is uh, leads in a lot of directions right. to good and evil. Right. So the idea that we should experiment with anything we can get away with, uh, I think that's what uh, is a, is attributed to Marshall McLuhan. Mm-hmm. Um, art is whatever you can get away with and in many respects technology, life, all the facets of how we represent and extend ourselves creatively is is to a certain um, extent what you can get away with. Yeah. So where's the metaverse going to take people in a disconnection where we barely understand the world in which we are, are called to operate viscerally and tactily and materially and, and even spiritually but to divorce yourself from that and live more and more of your life and and your and extend your moral imagination into these realms, uh, looks to me like a very f- interesting, fascinating, and profoundly dangerous prospect. At a level that we've never seen before. At a I mean, level is, we've never seen before. Imagine right. living and being more... And you can imagine these circumstances. Somebody's living under brutal conditions, and whereby they can extend through their connection to the metaverse a sense of living more of their life in that realm than yeah. the real realm. Yeah. It might be a relief from pain yeah. and suffering and conflict and abuse and all kinds of you know, misery and evil. On the other hand, it's not a real life other right. than right. an extension of the imagination.
0: Yeah. Reminds me of the movie Ready Player One. It came out a few years ago, I don't know if you saw that. But it was you know a dystopian world that everyone just basically threw on the headset. And that was really where life and community interaction took place. So it
2: seems sci-fi. But it's really not that far. Well, from does where art we're... imitate life, or does life imitate art? it's yeah. it, these, yeah. are, these are big questions, and we don't have you know easy answers to everything because there's so much um, that's intriguing about the nature of these technologies and what they can disclose to us. Right. But at the end of the day, how do you become a whole person? Right. And yeah. does this really lead to a wholeness, or does this lead to something that's so? Thinly veiled in terms of fragmenting and extending you into something that really is utterly yeah. and completely disincarnational, and um, you know who are you then? Well, and I think that's the—I mean—that's the I mean, that's the, really the question of the day is if the enemy
0: is at our gates and this is the, the weapons that they're bringing against us. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, but what are we to do, especially as parents? And um, you know, I, we don't want to show up, you know, with a, at a firefight with a water gun or something. I mean, how do we really? assess the the significance of what's in front of us, which I don't think we fully understand, especially as kind of digital immigrants, that sort of all this technology has come late to us. But, you know, the iGen right now, the younger generation, this is the air they breathe is this digital medium, and it's now become their escape. So, Well, it,
2: it challenges the idea of what does it mean to live life fully? Yeah. And how do we engage our kids? What do we present to kids as an opportunity to live life yeah. fully? How much of the natural and created world have they explored, and seen with their own eyes, and experienced with their own tactile yeah. ability yeah. to encounter these the, these these realms, these environments that are around us? But not not always uh, right out your front door. You may live in a city or an urban scape where you need to go a little further and discover something that's quite different, unique, or it might be in in a local park very near you. Yeah it's all a matter of you know learning to see learning to experience learning to interact with the things that present themselves
0: yeah. So is technology your greatest concern when you think about the next generation? I mean, what do you feel like is the biggest threat at the doorstep of young people today?
2: Well, it's one of them. I certainly wouldn't say it's the only thing. I think the ultimate concern is how do we become whole persons? What is our definition of a whole person? We don't have that in view. We don't have an understanding of that in mind. We never know, really, what what map are we following and what kind of compass or GPS system, if you like, will guide our souls on that journey to find Wholeness. You know, we all come into this world with a certain level of capacity and uniqueness, but the wounds and the uh, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that that impact us and and cause us to yeah. struggle. And part of growing and becoming whole is how you deal with those struggles and how you become a whole person. And what is your healing journey?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So w- when you look again, you've got a good. Uh, you were recently again, or just yesterday, a Lance uh, Wallnau's. Uh, Show And I guess Lance is um, accredited with defining these seven mountains or seven channels of culture today. I know that Bill Bright said as Christians, if we're going to have cultural influence, we need to be involved in family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business and government. So that's a those are all the many ways that we are to be a faithful presence in the world today.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that in the summer, apparently of 1975, it is, as it's been recounted to me, Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham, Cunningham from yeah. Youth with a Mission, and Francis Schaefer from Labrie, yeah. got together and said, what, what do you sense the Lord is disclosing you? And it was all this idea of these cultural gates or mountains or how we interact with the culture. And uh, how does the gospel, represent itself or how does salt and light manifest in engaging culture so uh it's very interesting and uh dr lance has become a very good friend and he's he's really made that his uh focus in exploring what it looks like to inhabit those 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 areas those those gates of culture those mountains of culture and what it looks like to be better Uh, organized, more thoughtful in how, as the body of Christ, the ecclesia, people engage with the culture.
0: And so it's not one or the other. I mean, all seven of these need to be attended to if we are going to fulfill the Great Commission. If we're going to be a faithful presence, I mean, it sounds like as believers we need to we need to be attentive to all of them in a in a very purposeful way.
2: Well, for sure. You know, we we live in a world that has all these facets to it. And how do we manifest the the love of God in Christ? And how do we manifest the idea that we represent that salt in life? How do we spread out rather than retreat from that? Yeah. How do we take those facets of of society and human existence as representing culture and uh, transform them, redeem mm-hmm. them, yeah. manifest something that is healthier and, and more complete and, uh, and reflects a healing presence. And I mean, again, in
0: your, you know, you've traveled, what, 34,000 miles since January? You, you are a, a frequent traveler around the globe. You're in conversations from... Government leaders to pastors to, um, I mean, a broad array. I mean, you have, again, I think you have a real sense of kind of where God is moving against the tides of the metaverse and, again, the forces, if you will, that are mounting up against us right now. And so where do you see, we're obviously going to pinpoint in here after the break on education. Are you seeing, where are you seeing significant, um, you know, influence, I think, taking place in these other mountains beyond education? Because I think it's obviously the preeminent mountain that we need to be focusing on. But uh, are you? Where where do you have concerns in terms of maybe put it that way? In terms of the other mountains, in terms of you know, family should be a, a, an important mountain. But I think sometimes family today, unfortunately, just based on statistics, um, you know, average even intact families, how much time did mom and dad spend influencing children, and, and that that isn't what it should be. And we need to improve that. But that alone isn't enough. I think.
2: Yeah, well it's been an interesting couple of years and like many people in your audience listening to this podcast, I'm sure uh, you know, there have been changes in their lives in terms of spending more time at home with family, focusing on a different set of priorities, maybe not traveling as much. So in the last uh three months I had opportunities to go to some meetings and conferences and uh and so I was in Amsterdam and uh Zurich and Geneva and Paris and uh, then a number of American cities. So that led to a lot of uh discussions conversations with people asking questions about what's really going on because you know when you're subject to the restrictions of whatever sources of information you allow yourself to uh, explore or pursue you've got points of view that are a result of how others are representing those points of view so you're only as good as the information you've got and that's how we reflect our opinions and uh, unfortunately we become very defensive about those opinions and ideas sometimes even if they're not com- you know fully formed by a more complete perspective on yeah. the truth of what's really going on. So I asked this of many of my friends in Switzerland who I hadn't seen in a while. I said, do I sound like an overwrought, paranoid American conspiracy theorist? And they said, Gordon, you don't know the half of it. Wow. wow. So yeah. by that meaning, the world is considerably more complex than we might have assumed uh, prior to the COVID-19 Uh, pandemic or plandemic as it's been described right and uh, I think this leads to uh, a lot of very very important considerations that we should all be thinking about in terms of what have we accepted as the truth and what's our standard of truth and if education isn't leading us to an examination of truth that leads us to being critical thinkers with the ability to differentiate then what's our standard of quality what's our standard of understanding truth right
0: and it does seem, I mean, again, it's. on it, and, and the one hand, this is an obvious question, but I mean, people do not think critically anymore. I mean, we've seen a, a, an increasing uh, generation that has been raised on, you know, basically just being parroting the, the party line, so to speak. So what are you seeing there, again, through, through your experiences and
2: conversations? Well, I think we've all become reactionary over time based on what our assumptions were. But if you don't examine those presuppositions and say, hey, how did I come up with this opinion anyway? And we end up defending things because of hubris, because of a certain uh, conceit, because well, how dare you question my opinion? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is me. Well, I'm defending things that aren't really worth defending if I go back far enough and realize that it's, uh, it's a pastiche of ideas, some true, some not as accurate, some not as clear, some not true at all. But you you amalgamate all those ideas that form your, your reactions and your opinions, yeah. and you think, why should i be married to an opinion pretty pretty soon i own an opinion and after that it owns me mm-hmm. because i can't i can't change i can't adjust to new information right. and better information and find right. out i was wrong about something take for example our whole reaction to covid-19 what we were told 2 years ago by dr anthony fauci and others that seemed uh, on, this is the f- these are the facts it's on a sale i remember fauci saying on national television that there's no need to worry this, this this flu or whatever it was. They didn't even call it COVID-19 then in early 2020. Mm. Uh, they had named it. They said, don't worry, it's not coming here. It won't affect you at all. And so, you know, you can remember what was going on. People were encouraged to go out and go to the theaters and so on. This was right up until the time mm-hmm. on March 13th of 2020 when the whole country was faced with a, an emergency pandemic lockdown. That began to really, I mean, certainly got everybody's attention, but it also raised a lot of questions. And I, I went with what was recommended at the time. I can remember, actually, I'm embarrassed to say this now, but, you know, washing uh, groceries, right. uh, cereal boxes with disinfectant and leaving them outside the house for 48 hours. or yeah, But we didn't know. So, I mean, right. maybe that's nothing to be ashamed of, except that we didn't know and we didn't even know how to ask the right questions about the, the testing process about the scientific measurement yeah so the big concern i have relating education to the discovery of truth in fact is why is it we have so often been prevented and stymied and challenged and uh and censured uh by a government that doesn't apparently want to examine the truth or really respect science everybody said you know follow the science sure. i sure i never heard so many politicians who were really had no idea what they're talking about regarding the empirical method say we're following the science when right. they weren't so th- th- this is an important facet of education itself i'm not trying to take one party line or another except to say we've all been deceived at, at levels now that are just becoming apparent right. and it and and it's it's worth questioning why would What's the collective conceit of, you know, corporations and big farm and media getting together and saying, we want to protect only one point of view, whatever happened to genuine investigative journalism? And a lot of journalists, by the way, are asking the same questions as they're shown the door. That's right. (laughs) Well, I I think at this conference, somebody
0: made the comment that, you know, we, the kind of the party line is, yeah, there's. Diversity is wonderful. There's more diversity in terms of skin color and and ethnicities, but there's less diversity of thought than there has ever been. There is really only one way to think and see, which, again, tying this back to just the de-evolution from the time that, you know, you were doing work with MTV and all all the way to uh, with MTV. But, I mean, in those days it seems like child's play to where we are now in terms of just sort of the What's, inability of our culture to think, I mean, this is the, the core problem. So, I, yeah. I,
2: I'm not sure that we don't think, I think we don't really engage in the, in the critical reasoning process the way we could or should. Yes, and, and, exactly. And, and this came to mind, I think we might've talked about this, um, well, you and I did personally, we didn't do it on this podcast for Basecamp Live, but I remember reading the book that came out in 2019 by Dr. Shoshana Zubov at Harvard Business School. She's about 81 years old now, I think. And the book was The Age of Surveillance Capitalism mm. by Public Affairs Press. And I reckon this is one of the most substantive and significant books in explaining what, how, how technology and algorithms and ideas and the content of our personal lives has been monetized into mm. a whole system. And that book was so disturbing. I begged people to read it. I really felt that it was really akin to the wealth of nations for the 21st century. Mm. And it turns out it was and is. Now, I may not agree with all of her conclusions about um, socioeconomics and politics, but she really, really clearly categorized the ways in which we have sold our souls to technology companies to become the content fodder of transactional yeah. monetization. And, right. and this this should disturb us and cause us to think carefully about a lot of things. Yeah, Well, and I think... We're, we're, why don't we take a break? I want to
0: come back because I'm... I've really, this has been a good discussion, really setting up the severity and not that we needed to be totally reminded of it in terms of kind of what is the, the enemy's at the gates, what does the enemy look like? And again, it's not simply my child spending too much time on their phone and they need to go play outside more. It is far more subtle and far more toxic and, and far more <laughs> undermining of the very uh, basic reality that we're not having discourse anymore as humans. I mean, it's, it's sort of party lines being shoved at us. So what is the hope? The hope is obviously, I think, in the land of education. And so we definitely, uh, I want to hear your story. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with Gordon Pennington. It's time for another quick Classical Christian Q&A with Dr. Tim Dernland. So, Tim, what does the term soul formation mean? We talk
1: a lot about soul formation in Classical Christian schools. What are we talking about? We do. We talk a lot about it, but uh, soul formation is realizing, um, as Christians, we're not just bodies. We uh, have souls. And shaping that the soul will last forever will go on in the new heaven and new earth and taking time to form students uh, not just inform them academically is so incredibly valuable and and when teachers realize that the whole classroom just comes to life because the care and love that they pour into these students realizing that every soul in the school is created in the image of God and when we pour into them we're having an eternal impact that will last forever. And it provides such a more beautiful, true, and good education for these students.
0: It's probably a much more enjoyable teaching experience than just pushing out information and collecting it back when you're actually forming things that last for eternity.
1: Sure. And, and at our school, we, uh, we kick out questions to parents from teachers or from administrators that we encourage the families to talk through over dinner. And uh, it's been really having a neat effect that's kind of led into that more, not just academic things, but, but just the whole embodiment of this uh, classical Christian paideia. That's right.
0: We always say, you know, the, the worst question you can ask at the end of the school day to your kid is, you know, either what, did, what grade did you get on that test um, or just sort of a flat question like, how was your day? And they say, good. So yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the old things, what, what we value, we celebrate. So if, if it's grades, then we ask about grades all the time. If it's something to do with more substance and the eternal aspects of life, then maybe our questions. So it sounds like some great things you've got already queued up there. you have to share that with us. I'm sure
1: people are like, I need those questions. Sure. Um, for one, just avoid asking about the grades. Ask about uh, some of the more uh, formational things, some um, virtue and other things that, that lead back into the uh, full formation of the children. Sounds great. Thanks for that great advice. Check out Dr. Dernland's book on
0: 100 questions on classical Christian education. Got a question for him to answer on Basecamp Live? Send the question to info at Basecamp Live or leave us a message by voice or text on the Basecamp hotline, 833-595-2929. That's 833-595-2929. We look forward to hearing from you. Hey there, I'm Jeremy Tate, founder of the Classic Learning Test or CLT. Here at CLT, we are big fans of the Basecamp Live podcast and we're excited to be joining Basecamp in the renewal for classical education. In addition to our beautiful suite of assessments for grades 7 through 12 and soon to be 3 through 6 as well, we have exciting new things going on at CLT. Please check out our new website where you can find out about the Anchored Podcast, the CLT Journal,
1: and upcoming test dates. Head over to www.cltexam.com slash basecamp. Again, that's
0: www.cltexam.com slash basecamp. Whether you're a homeschool parent, a teacher, or a school administrator, we would love to support you in your mission fulfilling a classical vision for education. So Gordon, I can remember um, a number of years ago, I was in Atlanta, head of school, and I said, hey Gordon, I'm doing this thing called classical Christian education. And you said, sure, Davies, I sounds nice. I'm sure it's wonderful and the kids are cute and great. good for you. And I said, no, 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 you really need to come see this, Gordon. It's pretty amazing. And he said, all right. And you were in Atlanta and you came by uh, there where I was head of school and you sat, I think, it's probably in an eighth grade classroom. And uh, you had, a, I think, a pretty profound experience just watching these, quote, typical kids sitting in a classical Christian classroom. I
2: did, and I'll never forget it. I sat in a classroom with those eighth grade students and I saw what I had never seen In that way before in my life, I saw the pure love of learning expressed collectively in a classroom wherein the children were so attentive, so receptive, so engaged and engaging, and in their recitations or responses to the topic, which was a historical topic at the time. And I saw in them a sense of incandescent pleasure mm. in what they were experiencing, learning and being able to express it, not just to impress an adult who was visiting the classroom, but because the very understanding of it brought light in life, and a, I, I was moved to tears. And thinking about it closely, reflecting on it, would move me to tears again very easily because that was a moment of, it was an epiphanal moment for me. It was a moment that I'll never forget. And I saw something I had longed for. There was a deep sense of really longing, uh, even jealousy. I'd wished that I'd been able to go back in time and go through the educational experience all over again from the standpoint of having that opportunity to engage with information. Because I had some good teachers. I was in a public school that really wasn't great, but I had moments of educational stimulation and engagement that I thought, well, so this is what learning could represent in the right conditions with the right classroom and the right peers and cohort and the teacher and the subject and circumstances, whereby just the engagement of learning as opposed to all the myriad layers of social distraction and dysfunction and disciplinary issues and all the things that plague and burden so many teachers that I think mm. have a good heart and ambition and, and their, their motives are, are be pure, but they get caught up in something that is so dysfunctional now. And, and, and now it's gotten to the point where it's, it's really disastrously dysfunctional in many cases in classrooms. And so it's a, there's a burden of sorrow to this. And what we want to do in pursuing classical christian education is give more and more people the opportunity to taste and see and experience in, in an immersive way what this whole education it, it it's this is why it's so important that people understand the nature of the classical christian education culture mm. and this is why we talk about terms that, that that are that are a little obscure and esoteric to some but the nature of the paideia is that it's that It's that quintessential intersection of of something that's so mystically wonderful. It doesn't have to be mystical, but the idea is you set up the circumstances for those moments of engagement and learning that are so pure, so wonderful, so Mm. enlivening and enlightening that you see how beautiful learning can be, the flower of the the moral imagination of someone's psyche and soul and their body, soul, spirit. Uh, development and maturity wow. it's just absolutely what the whole enterprise of life is about gosh that is so well said gordon and
0: I, you know I, I as you're talking and i love your term of you know, the incandescent joy i think that as a movement and, and i think it could be the case could be made classical christian education is roughly 40 years old i mean you know the sort of the rediscovery of it kind of in the early 80s And school most of many of our schools are 25 years old at the oldest and as we evolve into our own understanding of what this is, I think early on there was probably a more, if I can say wooden understanding of this model, which was let's just put these great books in front of our kids. Uh, let's let's give them um, kind of mental push-ups through logic lessons and that type of thing. And what I think most of us have come to our, our understanding of this is an opportunity to awaken deep, deep, deep within their souls, a discovery of what is, it is the the you know the, the true good and the beautiful i mean we use that phrase all the time and, and i think the idea of the beauty is what really transforms i mean truth can be uh, can be a measuring stick but it's not as, it doesn't draw us and compel so i'm am trying to latch back onto this phrase of, of this incandescent joy that you saw in these students this these were not students that were just uh, working through rote memory of good true things these were students that We're alive. So, my question is in in this, we kind of, the first part of the interview talked about what's a rather ominous uh, and and daunting moment in history where, you know, the the barbarians are not only at the gates, they knock down the gates and they're having dinner with our kids, and the kids are loving the the dialogue with the barbarians. So, we've got to come up with a more uh, delightful dialogue, a more delightful company to keep. So, I think that's, uh, from what you've seen and the way you just beautifully described that, we, could, our ability to win is because we've got
2: something more beautiful and more attractive and more alive. Yeah, we're in a world of competing interests and competing ideas and and, and, and competing seductions, if you will. If you want to take it that far, yeah, the whole I idea think the is that we're being pulled one way or the other to something that is ultimately glittery and has a certain attraction at a superficial level, but is ultimately false. It doesn't really satisfy our deepest yearnings and and needs. And until we identify those things, and that's a spiritual journey. It can take a long time. You don't always Mm -hmm. land there right away and recognize what is it that I really most want. Well, I want a great job. I want a great lifestyle. I want a collection of material things and the accoutrement, Mm -hmm. my success, that will give people the... The, the, the some patina mm-hmm. of, of, of exterior impressions that, like, I have succeeded at whatever I thought I wanted to succeed right. at. But how fulfilling is the inner life? What What is that interior life like? And you look at people who have changed the world. You know, a, a Solzhenitsyn, a C.S. Lewis, I mean, a, 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 a G.K. Ch- I mean, you could go on and on. People just pop into mind right now. Who had, and, and those are names that come to mind because they had very... Uh, in Solzhenitsyn's case, a very an agonizing journey toward a satisfying end, in terms of challenging something, challenging a whole system, and bringing it down, and reforming something that may have made, he may have not completed his mission entirely, but. Yeah. Or a Lewis, you know, surprised by joy and that journey of joy, and then losing Joy Davidman and, and, and mer- late in late-in-life marriage and struggling with that, but struggling honestly and struggling in a way that authenticates the human experience. And Chesterton raising the questions that, you know, in his position of influence and so on, when the London Times famously yeah. asked uh, yeah. 20 of the most influential people, what is the problem of the world today, dear sirs, I am. I mean, having the humility and transparency just you know look at look at how the mechanics of life and learning and 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 put it all together that's why i say life is a kind of enterprise it's not just survival how do we thrive what does maslow's hierarchy of needs really lead to well self-actualization but what does the transcendent component of that if self is actualized at what point does myself come to a mortal end? Because it yeah. will. And so I try transcend that by losing. The, there's a there's a part that Maslow didn't understand. Losing myself to gain something greater. Giving myself in surrender to my creator. I mean, yeah. this, this is the greater enterprise. So education, everything around it, all of the features and facets and familiarity of these processes lead to nothing meaningful if it's just, oh, I want to have a better life since I have a better job, I have a better, better, better. What's the best? What's the fulfillment? What's the possibility of realizing who I am in the love and benevolence and grace and mercy Mm. and care and kindness and compassion of my creator, who Mm. just wants to bring me into a complete embrace that I might never experience other than allowing myself to fancy that that is a possibility and that's worth pursuing.
0: Wow. Again, that's beautifully said. I mean, I think as you're saying that, I'm thinking about Years ago when I did the youth ministry, someone once said, you know, one of the greatest sins is effectively boring people with God and giving giving young people uh, a, a, a Christianity that is so anemic that who would really want it? And I think that's part of the problem with the evangelical church today broadly is that there is this um, basically a life insurance facade of, you know, pray to receive Jesus and check the box and say your devotions, and it's it's there's nothing— Transcendent about that. There's nothing holy or, or desirable in at in a, in a, in a level that at least would compete with what the world has to offer. And as we began talking about the persuasion of media in the world, I mean, so we have something better, but we don't often present it in a way that is really beautiful. And it sounds like what you're saying. I mean, it's it's actually in these moments of classical Christian education, these classrooms, when rightly done, that these transcendent truths and these books and in these discussions give a glimmer of, of, of the face of God I mean if we can be so bold to say that where all of a sudden now as a young person says okay I want that way more than I want the latest dangly
2: thing that the world has to offer me it's a competition for our it is our, right our, our, for uh, as Jonathan Edwards would have said for our affections And we have ordered and and, and more often disordered affections, the things that we think will cause us to uh, really thrive and be fulfilled. And, you know, where where do we put our hopes and dreams? and, 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 yeah, where are those affections in earnest?
0: I mean, as I mean, just at a personal level, for you, you've kind of, I mean, I I, I think you've had a classical Christian education, just because you're, uh, you're the merging of, of Christian education and your prolific reading and your great mind. I mean, you've you've really kind of hit discoveries that I think a lot of these young people are, you know, having. You mentioned Solzhenitsyn and others, throughout you know our, our history um, of the West that that have discovered God at this deep level. That I mean, obviously Lewis would be one of those. I mean, who for you have been other? Uh, individuals that have had influence on you to, to show you the
2: richness of the Christian life. Well, you have. To be honest, well, I wouldn't be here in I this would... interview if it weren't for the provocations of friends and people provoked you and you had the openness and, and interest to pursue a better life and education. When you moved your whole family, from, you had a very secure future and life in Atlanta and a family history there that goes back to your connections to the Coca-Cola company and all all this all the things that, that you know there's a patina of a security there that wasn't enough yeah. because you wanted your kids to have a better future specifically regarding education so when you encountered ambrose school and called me and said i'm moving to boise and why, and you understood the risks, and you understood, I mean, you took a, you know, a, a serious adjustment to income. So that wasn't important. You have the, your, your ordered affections and your ordered priorities mm. reflected something that most people only dream about, and you did it, and you've done it, and you're doing it. Wow. So, I, you know, I, I just credit you for being one well, of the many voices, an, impo- an important one in my life, but many of the voices and in, in, in lives that are a reflection and a witness to the power and beauty and excellence of the, the kind of educational vision that so many people are pursuing now you could call it a movement and it's growing and growing and growing, especially with the decline of public education the mess and the, the 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 utilization of our public schools as tools of you know, government propaganda. I mean, just the sorrow and misery. And it's, and, and kids don't deserve. I mean, mm. it's so unfortunate. It is. It's- and 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 again, I don't want to sound like I'm accusing every person who has a has a life. And my mother was a public educator, but as she toward the end of her career, after almost 40 years in public education, a master's degrees in curriculum development from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor and all that, she looked back at it and said, "I've." I, you know, I she it she was an inspired calling to her, as it was to her mother, my grandmother, who graduated from Oberlin. Yeah. But when she looked back on it, she said, "We've gotten off track. Public education and the curricula, especially the content, the the cultural assumptions around who's developing, what it is we're trying to to pr- pursue, what we're trying to cultivate in our students." is is wrongheaded and it's going in a completely wrong direction and she retired and resigned and she kept educating people but on her own in her own way she's very innovative and committed person well, that was a calling for her davies
0: well and, and in the day she was there there were still a, a, often mentioned os guinness is referencing kind of the cut flower i don't think he's the one that really uh, you know, who knows where that came from as an image of where our culture's been the vestiges of of, of the richness of Christian tradition in the West have carried most of the 20th century. So when your mom was teaching, there were probably we would be shocked by today's standards, the sort of Christian esque elements of the classroom and of the assumptions and the materials.
2: And, and yet she was already seeing the decline while she was there. There was a warmth and nurture in the, in, in the classroom experiences that she experiences mm-hmm. and dis, dis, experienced and described. And I had the, now I went to school at one time in the school that my mother and my grandmother mm. attended as well. So wow. it was an interesting history in my small town in Michigan. But I, I remember the warmth and the, the spirit in the classroom, the, the nurturing was so, and this is in the 50s now, so you think about how things have changed. And right, exactly. We, we had a fire in a fireplace and a reading time and, and, and rest time and nap time. And the this, the spirit and nature of my kindergarten teacher, Miss Dimmick, <laughs> she had never married, but just a very, very mm-hmm. kind and capable soul and knew how to nurture children. I feel fortunate for to have had some of those experiences, but as time went along and by the time I graduated from high school in the 1970s, yeah, it was a very different world. Yeah,
0: or the fireplace, it might trigger somebody to have a, a fire fear or something oh, they, so, they yeah.
2: blocked the fireplace you know yeah, uh, oh, well. not, not long after that <laughs> but well it was just you know too much risk but think of right. what was lost along with right. the risk
0: just the the spirit of just gathering and pouring but but, but the point is obviously if you, your mom was seeing these the unraveling even back then um which by today's standards would almost seem you know quaint and and beautiful and she was seeing concerns with it so, beautiful and here we are today but uh well, let's take a, another quick break, and we'll kind of come up, come back for the final segment, and again, just uh, your your perceptions and and your encouragement is so greatly appreciated. Gordon. It's so
2: great to be at the annual uh, Repairing the Ruins conference here this year to see so many people. I mean, this movement is growing; it's exploding. I don't yeah. even know how you're going to have room for. It. I mean, people well, yeah. are waking up to the power and necessity. Of, of of providing a better education yeah, yeah. to our children, and and, and it's, it's essential.
0: It is well, and and next year when you come to the SEL conference, you're going to see a whole another. I mean, there's, there's, we're going to get you there.
2: You're y- 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 you're seeing this. This is an American phenomenon, and it's overdue. It's essential. It's it's urgently needed. And it I, is. Know, I I hope your audience continues to grow, and that people tell yeah. others about. Base well, camp because these are such uh, yeah, it's, ennobling and, and 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 invigorating conversations. Well, days. it's been
0: humbling to be here. I mean, the number of people that are new on this journey. I mean, I have countless individuals just come up and said, you know, we, j- less than three years ago, two years ago, one year ago, we were on this trajectory, and someone put us onto this idea of a classical Christian education, and it changed everything, up and moved their family. Every, I mean, it's a whole new. We're doing this differently. So there is God is doing something through this humble movement for sure we'll be right back
2: it's inspired
0: he's worked with families for more than 30 years as a licensed professional counselor and marriage family therapist it's time for a quick encouragement on the best practices of raising the next generation we call it a mccurdy moment Keith, it's hard to look at the news on any given day and not see something about uh, depression rates or suicide, especially in that uh, teenage, young adult world. It is epidemic. Something's gone wrong.
3: I'm sure people, are, that's a huge issue you're dealing with in your office. What is going on and what should we do about it? You know, I teenagers come in all the time with elevated levels of stress, anxiety, and depression. And I'll give you one, one thing I use to look at, you know, the, the level of technology addiction, and what that does, and just how much stress and anxiety is driven by social media, is huge among teenagers. And so, one of the things I do is this: uh, I, I challenge them to give me one month, and if they're really, if they really want to tackle this, give one month to see how much this is affecting them. and And they go dark. And if they agree, going dark means they lose all technology. All technology. Now, the one thing I will allow them to use, because again, they're teenagers, is they can use their phone, but they shut off all functions except phone calls. And if they agree, parents get involved, they shut down or they shut off all their accounts, there's no social media, and they go a month. And I challenged them, I said, let's just go a month to see if we can touch this in this meaningful way. So here's what happens. I'll think of a guy, I'll call him Joe, and he was just a funny teenager, 17-year-old I worked with. And so he agreed. He did the challenge. He came in after week one, and he was crazy. He said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're making me do this. This is horrible. I'm going crazy. I'm missing everything. I just can't take it. You know, the FOMO, fear of missing out. It's so we had to process that. So, true, a true withdrawal going on. So, yeah. Right. So we get to week two, and he comes in my office. He says, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and, he, and this kid was, he was, he was really funny. He said, if my parents really did not know, I would think about taking you out. I can't believe you're making me do this. This is torture. Third week he comes in, he leans back on the couch and he's quiet for a second. He looks at me and he says, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh and I say, what do you mean? He said, I haven't missed out on anything. And he said, wait a minute. No, I have. I haven't missed out on anything of value. Mm. everything I've missed out on has been drama. Mm. Mm -hmm. By week four, he comes in and he says, well, actually, in every manner that we could evaluate, anxiety and depression had fallen. And he could say, there is no question, I am functioning more calmly, more at peace, less anxious, less stressed out than I was prior. Now, the big issue at that moment is, I've never had a student stay dark, nor is that really practical in the world we live in. Sure. So the question then is, how do I return and, and use this as a tool and a resource with a smaller footprint in my life? But it's amazing to me, when I strip that out of a teenager's life, within one month, they function drastically differently. Yeah.
0: And once they've tasted and seen there is life on the other side, they're more prone to go back to it. Which is That
3: really, is the hope and the goal. That's,
0: right? the, well, that's great. Well, I'm gonna shut off because we were on an electronic thing, and i want to make sure we go dark got a question for Keith to answer on a future McCurdy moment' we'll send it to us at info at and learn more about Keith McCurdy on the speaking page on the basecamp live website so Gordon as we end up our time here I just there's so many uh, times when you talk about classical Christian education it just it just is an encouragement to me I know there are a lot of folks out there you know thinking of about parents and educators in the movement that are shouldering a lot right now. I mean, COVID was burdensome and just life right now and economic woes and and the the, the ramping up as we began in the episode talking about, um, there's a lot that we could be concerned about, but we serve a, an incredibly alive God who is on his throne. And I just, just from your perspective, what, what words of encouragement do you have to, to I'll start with families today and then we'll just ask the same question about educators.
2: Yeah, well, look, uh, you're right. Life is not without complications and burdens and concerns, but it's also the opportunity to do something that is, uh, that is beyond the scope of our ability alone. I think that's the part of our life journey that reflects the very nature of faith itself. Without faith, this is an impossible journey. It's impossible to please God. And to the extent that we were born for relationship with our creator, and with one another, we need to embrace the very fact that we're going to be tested by all the circumstances and trials of life and made better through it or, or, or destroyed. (laughs) So we're, (laughs) we're at that. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are. I mean, this is, this is, this is the moment we're in, right? These are the circumstances that we're in. These are the challenges we're in. These are the opportunities we face. And our decisions to approach them in a way that is faith-filled and and, and fueled by hope and motivated by love is a noble ambition. And this is our life's enterprise. So what could be better than giving that hope to children through education and allowing them to see something through the, the lens and the prism of history and opportunity that allows them to rise to the occasion? Yeah. We can't hide them from the circumstances of life, from its right. challenges and, yeah. and, and, and the severity of it. And this might be in the end, uh, as was said of, of Lewis by Sheldon von Onikin, I mean, this might be a severe mercy that we're in. Mm. But I believe it's a moment of clarification. In many ways, our culture was floating down a lazy river, taking a lot of the things for granted mm. and not really questioning things that didn't immediately challenge our comforts and our convenience and our circumstances and these became idols and then the subtlety of thinking that comfort and convenience surely can't be something that's so disruptive that it's really going to be destructive but it was and is and now we're awakening from something that really requires our full time and attention and commitment and conviction and clarity in seeing the truth for what it is and what is our definition and standard of truth well in a court of law it's do you swear to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but right. the truth. And if that's not our standard in the pursuit of truth, we see ourselves taking bits and pieces of what we like or find most uh, most able to uh, uh, embrace or or hide from ourselves and others and we're not really going to be fully formed by truth. So what will that tell us about ourselves and 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 again ennoble us and make us better people. Mm-hmm. And that's the journey we're on. It's 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 worth our full and complete commitment. And I I think that we're all challenging other to, to, we're challenging one another to rise to this really, really extraordinary occasion. And we could go into details because when has there been a time when there's been a more systemic and intentional attempt to deconstruct a society? Mm -hmm. And you, you, you you can have a whole episode on this for sure, and many but we're awakening to something that there there are forces that are malevolent in in the world. They've been there for a long time, but they're being unleashed in a way that is adding to the clarity of what we must do in these yeah. circumstances. And I believe people are being made courageous and uh, yeah. and better for it. And that's the journey we're on together. Obviously, that everything you just said would be apropos to
0: a, a teacher, an administrator in a classical Christian school. Anything distinctly, by way of words of encouragement, to, to those actually... Who are, who are leading these schools because this is obviously at the front of the uh, line of, of raising up this generation that so desperately needs to really be the salt and light to the world.
2: You couldn't do anything more, I believe, uh, noble with your life than to devote yourself mm. to the education of your children with the kind of quality and the kind of c- uh, conviction and the kind of character that the classical Christian education movement is bringing to our our nation and our world today, and that's why you're seeing this it really almost exploding as a movement. It's and it's just on the cusp of really creating an educational yeah. awakening that is uh, long overdue and essential to our future. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think it's the uh, you know it's you're right. It's these pendulum swings throughout history. When when the world heats up more, it's in those times. I think about Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity. I mean, why why did Christianity ever spread throughout the nations. I mean, it's kind of what you think about. It, it's just an obscure Galilean dude wearing some sandals and some people following around, you know, 12 disciples and all of a sudden the world is forever changed and you know it, it, God shows up in those moments of, of what looks to be the biggest moments of desperation And so not only do we have Jesus on the throne We also have a, a means by which to educate and formulate and shape a generation And and I think that the hard thing is we're in, we're an impatient people we want uh, you know the quick fix. We want to run in tomorrow to every public school and, and snap our fingers, and every kid is in a different place. We realize it's going to take a long time to cultivate a generation through a K-12 process, but that is the way culture gets changed. So it's a it's a good work. So thanks for the encouragement.
2: It's great to be at base camp, and I can look up now as the <laughs> as the fog uh, and, and the clouds clear, and right. I see the the peak of Everest, I see something even beyond that peak. I see that we're headed for something that is so extraordinary and so ambitious that it'll require all we can bring it and it'll be worth it.
0: And that's what inspires our, our students along the way. This is a, not a walk in a park. It's a climb to the top of the most beautiful view in the world. Well, so, that, that yeah.
2: that's the most rewarding fruit of all, to yeah. see the the incandescent awareness of the love of life and learning and growth in these young people today. Yeah. It's really, really it extraordinary. Incandescent awareness. I'm getting that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon, thanks so much. It's, it's always good to be with you. so good to be here, Davies. All right. Blessings to you. Thank you.
4: Hey, Basecamp Live listeners, this is Hannah, Davies' daughter here. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I can confidently say that my kindergarten through college, classical Christian education, has become a critical part of my life. It formed and trained me to be a strong leader, to love God. And now as a married young adult, it's really created a foundation for me to go out into the world, the world that's getting crazier by the day. So, thank you for listening to this podcast. It's absolutely critical what's being discussed here. If you could take a moment and send an email to infobasecamplive.com, let us know where you're from, where you're listening, what's on your mind. We're so grateful that you're part of this Basecamp Live community. Thank you for being here. Please do tell a friend and give a five star rating on your podcast listening platform. Thank you so much. See you next time.